it's giving it importance, but it doesn't give importance to it. So welcome to this episode of Not Daily Podcast Conversation, where we casually and informally... <laughs> <laughs> we're never formal, but like we're even less formal here. De and we debrief what's been happening in the last episode. Such a formal introduction for an informal conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty ironic, isn't it? But I wanted to stress out that it's in order to start a conversation with the public. So we take your feedback on every platform, YouTube, Twitter, Reddit, etc. And even mail. Even what? Is mail a platform? <laughs> it's a medium. It's not a platform because it's not like it doesn't have an owner. It's not a thing. I guess so. If email was invented today, it would be a platform. <laughs> Clearly. Email could not be invented today, nor would the internet, by the way. Man. Nor would um, the fire department. If someone said like, oh, you have to pay for if your neighbor starts a fire. Maybe I think a fire department would maybe still be invented, but library would never be invented. The fire department, like your neighbor is stupid enough to put fire to his house and you have to pay for it. The fire can go to your house as well. So... Well, COVID also, but then people don't vaccine, so... Well, I think, like, <laughs> no, but like library is a better case there because like library... Like... Library is a clear... Like, it's yeah. not even funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly. even surprising. Yeah, it's like no way it exists today. I think a lot of people would accept to live without libraries. That's sadly true. So anyway, send us all your thoughts and you'll be included in the next edition. For this edition, we're gonna start by two episodes ago. So like the last conversation episode, we talked about Sam Lavigne. Yes. And we, and, and his art, etc. And right after we uh, posted the episode, he started a new project. Okay. Uh, which I thought was funny. So worth mentioning here called Botnet in which he made bots that basically go on websites that are environmental friendly, like talk about green stuff, and the bots click on ads. So that way it boosts the revenue artificially of ecological friendly websites. Just wanted to bring it up because the timing was really, uh, <laughs> really coincidental with, uh, with our episodes. That's fun. Does that work though? Like, isn't it protect? Like, I feel like ad would be protected against but no well i mean so if he advertised it it's probably that he made some sort of some something very sophisticated yeah <laughs> so it would work but still even if it works it's peanuts sense in the grand scheme of things you can't get reached by but clicking ads <laughs> yeah i guess if you could everyone would just funny I yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you could it would be patched <laughs> Like most projects, it's more for the gesture than anything else. Yeah, no, it's a fun project. Just why, like, environmental, like, like his other work seems to be a bit more against, like, capitalism. Well, among other things, capitalism destroys environment, so... That is true. He, if you want to click on all ads that are against capitalism, uh, <laughs> environmental ads are, are a good proxy, maybe? <laughs> I don't know, you, you, need to, you need simplicity when you're doing a project, you need to be able to explain it. Do you have anything you wanted to say about Sam Lavigne, since you went through a journey of art appreciation? Yeah, I don't know what happened last time, I was a bit 
negative about his work which is very weird because so i went back to the website and actually like it's a kind of work that i really really like i don't really understand why i had like this negative emotion against it i i, I actually don't know like, like it's a bit weird but i don't know i don't really know what to say because like the next day maybe like two days after after recording the show went back to it clicked on like every project and i actually like love 95 percent of it i think like maybe what it was was reacting to it live i think it, maybe it's a kind of work that you need to play with a bit for to fully understand like to fully feel what like he wants to do and so like talking live about the art while not really even i was not on the website i mean yeah you were not presented with the art you just had like someone telling you about it a second-hand appreciation of it the problem is exactly that like i think his work is way better when you actually play with it because it's usually like kind of interactive let's just say it grew on you <laughs> And let's move on because yes. the the bulk of the discussion, the bulk of the messages I, I received was about the next episode in which we discussed the the topic that is on everyone's mind. I'm sure at one point or another in their life, why do anime characters scream their attack names when they when they attack? And so the first follow-ups I have is that I noticed that. I still had notes from last episode, from this episode recording that we didn't uh, mention. Okay. <laughs> so the follow-up from past me. So, yeah, I wanted to bring up the fact that through history, very famous swords, for instance, have received special names. You can think of Charlemagne or stuff like that. So it's it's a bit like we tend to forget about it because we don't think about medieval history. But uh, at that point, it was fairly... It happened to confer some sort of specialness to an object by naming it especially a weapon that's so fun actually because like it doesn't exist anymore does it like yeah I i'm thinking about excalibur for example i think it might be or Mjolnir, there's kind of a lot of weapons with names that like you actually know about, like people know about but right now i can't think of a single object that people would name maybe cars i don't know well so The, the examples you point out are interesting because they're not historical. They are mythological. That is true. Well, Excalibur is border, like, I don't know <laughs> the exact state of Excalibur. But historical examples are overshadowed by the mythological examples. The historical examples don't happen as much, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean, when the army develops a new weapon, it gives it a name. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the mythological example still happens when in movies or whatever. Do they, though? Like, can you name one? Well, Mjolnir in Marvel. No, <laughs> no, I don't know. When is the last time something was invented? Or like the one in Harry Potter. It doesn't have a real, like, cute name, but I'm sure... Yeah, it, that's true. It could. Yeah, but like, there's a huge difference between naming a weapon that you make, I don't know, a thousand times. For example, like a new... I don't know, a new bomb would have a name, but like there's 10 of these bombs or like 1,000 of these bombs. So you're not really naming a weapon, you're naming like a, the project. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. What's fun with a sword is like you're naming the actual like one sword, which is... And I, I, I do think that you are right in the fact that single object, like single instance naming kind of disappeared, except maybe for humans and still... Uh... Maybe like single item doesn't exist anymore as well. 
Like there's no item that has... Yes, so that's exactly what I was going to say. If you read anything from Baudrillard or anything like that, it's right into his uh, his domain saying like single objects don't exist anymore. Everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. And we lost the, whatever, the unicity, the symbolic oneness of a thing. Uh, maybe in craftsmanship, I don't know, like maybe some craftsmen do name the creation. Yeah, but does it matter if, they, if the creation doesn't escape their gar- their garden or whatever? I met a guy who uh, was uh, an interior designer for like rich people. And so he bought this like table that was super well known apparently and cost like, I don't know, like 150 like an insane amount of money for a table and I don't know if the table has a name but I feel like it would like it's a one of a kind table and I think in furniture like there's this kind of like really expensive one of a kind furniture well in in most things I assume that you could get also a special car I mean it's it's basically artwork at this point right then in art you are one of a kind yeah but is a sword art like maybe (laughs) So the name, the, yeah, I guess maybe by by giving it a name, you made it art. <laughs> maybe. That being said, like naming uh, an anime attack, uh, you you do reproduce the attack, so it might be closer to the uh, to the initial thing we were talking about to the weapon. Yeah. So I have another follow up, which is kind of the same as you. It's more of like a so that I had more than a follow up from one of our listeners, which is. We didn't talk at all about in manga. There's another trope that is very, very used, which is asking the name of your opponent. And you often see people say, "I will tell you my name if you beat me." And yeah, there's also you, you often see like the trope, like it's uh, you should tell me your name yeah. before asking yeah. mine. <laughs> and I thought like it was kind of interesting in the same kind of manner, which is like giving names this power of like. I don't really know. I think it's very Japanese, maybe. Like, I don't think in, like, Western culture you see that very strong... Emphasis on name. Well, my, my gut reaction to when you brought up the subject is, like, maybe it's just a matter of, you know, politeness, etiquette, whatever. Uh, but it is true that, as we mentioned in the, in the episode, there is this persisting thing that knowing the name of something gives you power over it. No, but maybe like maybe you're right though. Like maybe it's more about respect. I mean, I still think that there is a lot more to say about this power of of a name. I mean, we we'd have to call a ling- some sort of language specialist or something or language linguistic historian because like if you name something, sometimes it makes it true. Sometimes it gives it some sort of existence, like a thing in itself. Like an ex- what? <sighs> Think. Give me an example. Well, I, maybe it's a bad example, but uh, like naming a generation millennials creates kind of like a, a class, you know, like coming up with the name actually changes the, the world. So I, I know that in linguistics or something, like some people must be studying that, but uh, not me. <laughs> Yeah, but is it then... But, like, you're naming a concept and then the concept exists? Especially in philosophy, it's done a, it's done a lot. Uh, finding a name, like, for instance, worst, most obscure example, but uh, Chalmers' hard problem of consciousness kind of, like, created a research field. <laughs> More or less, like, created a problem. So sometimes when you, you, you come up with the right terminology or the right conceptualization in a way, you you 
create something out of existence. Would you say it's because he named it or just because like he discovered a category? Like I don't think the name has any value. He posed the problem of consciousness in a way that made more sense and then you named it. Yeah, the, I mean, the importance is clearly having the boundaries that define it, uh, but the boundaries without the name is a complicated paraphrase and it doesn't really stick in people's mind. I don't think in history you have a lot of examples of clear boundaries without a name. <laughs> They usually go together just for practicity. Okay, did you have real follow-up? I have, re I have real follow-ups, but before that, just briefly I had planned to bring up the very well-known example of the name of a spell that is Wingardium Leviosa and how much the pronunciation matters. But maybe it's just a matter of the name being written more in the phonetic language than in the alphabet. <laughs> When you talk about like attack names and spell names, not bringing up Wingardium Leviosa is, I think, a crime. <laughs> I thought, we, okay, I thought, I, okay, we talked about Harry Potter, but we forgot about Wingardium Leviosa. That's kind of yeah. weird. Well, we didn't go in depth, I guess. Like I didn't think. What's interesting, I think, is like the pronunciation. What as well, like, what as power is the spoken word. It's not like the written word. Okay, let's go into like actual follow-up from actual listeners. <laughs> okay, real follow-up. Two, two, two. <laughs> real follow-up. I mean, all follow-ups are real in a way. But a Yaris, which is one of our usual listeners, sent me a wonderful comment. Uh, centered uh, with, with a few different points uh, which we're going to go through centered roughly around sports which is really nice because we didn't talk at all about sports but so he made the parallel between these attack names and a topic that's been on the news recently uh, which is tennis because in tennis people often yell when they uh, when they hit the ball Mm -hmm. And so this is a very well-known and widespread phenomenon and journalists talk about it and researchers talk about it and journalists talk about the researchers. So apparently it's more or less to like destabilize the adversary. Is it? Well, so it, it's hard to tell like if it's what is the origin of it like if it's if it has the goal of that but apparently research shows and i'll i guess i'll link it below <laughs> because i didn't fact check this at all but it might have an actual effect on reaction time and uh so it's some sort of Oh, and also kind of like camouflage for uh, if you ever use your auditory system to figure out where the ball is headed mm. yeah, so it's it's ma it's masking it's camouflaging some information destabilizing the adversary and giving yourself strength more or less I don't know I, I just thought the parallel was interesting the theory is super interesting because like but do you think it's like a conscious choice by the player it's not just like they want to yell because I don't know like they put all their like strengths into it and then like they just yell or like do you actually think that like they have that theory in their mind I, I think it's completely social based on imitation etc <laughs> but there might be some sort of implicit selection mechanism like all the people who didn't yell ended up losing and so when you train you, you know Darwin is at work <laughs> the cute parallel would be that it gives more power to to your ball or something like 
it gives you more strength and that would be kind of a cool parallel with like sh like shonen work which you could say that like yelling rasengan like give you more power i guess i do think that uh when you hit the ball you probably want to exhale at the same yeah. time so letting the air out of your lungs and maybe like yelling also like gives you more adrenaline i mean yeah people do pump themselves up with loud noises <laughs> so then it's just the sounds there's no, like you don't need the name actually <laughs> well that's the that's uh, another part of this comment was about another i don't know if i should call that sports but uh, he was talking about a catch a little bit and highlighting that there is also attack names but this time it's not yelled by the performers or whatever it's yelled by the commenters i think this places the question in a completely different domain which is like describe a description of what's happening and the, so the the email ends by making the parallel between catch and pokemon fights in which now it's not just the commenter that gives the name of the attack it's the trainer who talks to the pokemon and then it's not just like the marketing aspects but it becomes communication between two parts of the team <laughs> in a way because if the trainer doesn't say anything then the pokemon doesn't know what to do and it becomes an essential part of the process i never to be honest like pokemon has been always super puzzling to me an animal like you should be able to fight without your trainer telling you everything that you need to do like what are you doing in the anime like if the trainer doesn't do anything like the pokemon will just chill they're kind of forced to do it because the trainer is yelling it which give it like kind of a weird like if you think about it like kind of a weird like dominant slave interaction yeah yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> A lot has been written about that. <laughs> but it's interesting because the, the, the Pokemon actually performing the attack is not yelling the attack name. They're just yelling the Pokemon attack, <laughs> the Pokemon name. Yeah, and that was such a weird choice, actually, to make like the Pokemon say their name. But the marketing side of it really works then. You know the name of the Pokemon. <laughs> If you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're not sure what to say, you should try scripts. Their simple and clear instruction will guide you through what you have to say for optimal results. I'm using one right now and loving it. So by the way, I recently completely changed my worldview about machine learning. And I think it's worth telling you because it was all because of a video game. <laughs> I think you would agree that uh, with the feeling that machine learning is a bit, let's say, disappointing. It's a bit of a letdown because it's this math formula that works in a black box and you put data in, you get data out. It's not cute at all. You don't have any sophisticated mechanism except a super hardcore math formula. You know, but it's not cute. It's not cute. Like, I think it's not cute for two reasons. Like, the first reason is it's always the same solution for every problem, which removes the cuteness of finding a new solution. The second point is when you have the solution, then you can't really understand what it's doing. Yeah, which exactly. Also remove the cuteness. And yeah, but like, we talked, I think, a lot about, like, the cuteness of machine learning in our machine learning episodes, so... Did you have a machine learning episode? <laughs> On GPT-3, what are you talking about? On GPT-3, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about it. 
so whatever. Uh, so I I used to be like that, really, really disappointed by by the fact that the solution to everything is this same square thing that you apply everywhere and you don't understand, and uh, it's a bit sad. So I'm still on this side. Okay. Recently, I have come to distance myself with this side. Okay. Uh, by playing a little game called Gladiabots on Steam. Gladiabots. Gladiabots, which is... Uh, I mean, I love the concept. The concept is you write the programming for some bots, some robots, and then they fight in an arena against either pre-rendered levels for training or in a tournament against other people. And you have different modes, which is like an all-out battle, a king of the hill or a collection point thing. Uh, but it's really cute. It's about programming your own robots. Okay. What's not to like? What's the tool to program it, though? Uh, so the tool, I want to preface this by saying it's not the, se- the, f- the, the only tool of its kind, like the only game of its kind, and I know a bunch like scripts. Or I love the one that was with leaks in web browser, like leak wars or something like that, where you didn't program robots but leaks, whatever. <laughs> uh, the tools are often like some sort of high-level programming language in the inside their software which for instance scripts which is another game that does more or less the same recently made a new version where you could import directly javascript files okay but it feels too much like working to me (laughs) in gladiabots you manipulate blocks in a very i don't know if you know scraps the programming for children but it's that kind of stuff okay Anyway, like a high-level, pretty easy programming language that still allows you to do whatever you want, still Turing complete. And so my experience with this really changed my view of machine learning. So, so my first intuition when you say that is like, okay, it's Turing complete, but this kind of coding don't really allow you to do machine learning. So it's more like logical door, I guess. Yes, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, it's not like you cannot do machine learning. Well, you can't really do machine learning. Yeah, so the, that's why I'm a bit surprised because you would think by now like when i say that like okay so the, the solution is clearly machine learning like if you want to be the best like you just like put machine learning and you will learn to play well better than any kind of programming that you can do with like logical door and so i don't really see like right now my first intuition is like what are you talking about well so basically this was my life in a world without machine learning right yeah. this is the, the more or less the only thing you can't do is wide scale machine learning you have to do some sort of program that you understand and you can put you can put your little module in a bigger module and encapsulate things to make more and more complex things but it's it's like the the alternative to machine learning essentially and so i started doing that and i started with a very simple program like oh let's get close to the center and then shoot on the enemy i f- first experience is oh to do something so stupid it's still a bit cumbersome <laughs> because you have to specify like, it's not as easy as you'd think and of course when you do something completely stupid you get destroyed and so then you start thinking about a strategy a little smarter saying like okay i'm gonna try to first go towards the center and then avoid the enemies etc you you think of a high level strategy 
that you think would get you through most of the easy fights. And you spend an evening or two implementing it, making your sub-module that, uh, that selects the different targets, etc. And then you test it, and then it completely fails because it gets butchered in a way you didn't think about and so you patch this way and then the uh, you get butchered in another way you didn't think about so then you stop the game you get fed up uh, you call your brother you're like next time we talk to each other online maybe you could try it together maybe it's a collaborative game so you'd call your brother you start over from scratch you listen to his solution and bring in your expertise from last time come up with a super robot and then the super robot gets destroyed by an edge case you didn't think about so you try to patch the edge case and then there's always this next edge case which is a lot like programming in fact when you fix a bug there's always two more bugs that arise and then when i was looking at my program which had like cascading thousands no not thousands like hundreds of heaps <laughs> i was like okay maybe maybe this is not cute at all <laughs> maybe it would be just cuter if i could somehow prevent the edge cases <laughs> and okay i thought that this switch was pretty interesting in my uh, my mindset okay okay so it's not okay 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 i thought it would be w like your argument would be way different than that basically he was just saying that like procedural alg algorithm are not super cute and so it's more uh, it's more that you don't like them anymore that like you like machine learning more well yeah it's more like i don't know so there's definitely some i don't like them like uh, there is definitely like once you've done so many cases you know that it's ugly <laughs> like it becomes ugly <laughs> but there's also some sort of beauty in le higher level abstraction like so when you start managing your robot you try to group your subroutines etc to make something a little bit more intelligent and so you you design yourself all these boxes with meaning and then you can see them fail in real time and in a way machine learning is the ultimate box designer <laughs> so there is also like i i do somehow value like recognize some sort of value in machine learning which basically automates all this gruesome failing that i've done into something that works yeah but the thing is like you could automate that with for example like a genetic algorithm with what sorry like with a genetic algorithm it's cuter because then like you can just put like random rules and see what works and then like you know the rules and it's still like a bit cuter i think but like yeah you could do machine learning with like gpt3 coding like the blocks and then like read like the if statement i guess <laughs> Like you're not... The thing is, when you're going to try to do a genetic algorithm, you're going to specify a subset of... Like, you're going to have to encode your problem into some sort of gene genome code. And then you're going to somehow hit the wall that the genome code is not as expressive as you'd want it to be. I, I think, like, what I dislike... What I aesthetically dislike about machine learning, because I really like machine learning as, like, a concept, <laughs> but, like, what I aesthetically dislike is that, is that where, like, in any other kind of algorithm that you could do to solve this problem, a human being, given enough time, could do the same. And I think then, like, your appreciation of 
of how the algorithm work is a bit better in the sense of like you you have more empathy toward the algorithm than like with machine learning which is just okay it works very well uh, i don't know if empathy is the right word you have more understanding because you see more clearly the structure maybe what lacks from machine learning is some sort of explicitation of the inner structure <laughs> so that we can see what the fuck that corresponds to yeah so, so so yeah what i wanted to say is like what's interesting is like we're always saying it's a black box it's a black box it's a black box but actually like in vision centric machine learning you can start to understand what it's doing because like you can see visual feature uh, that like always basically light up the same neurons this neuron kind of represents that like it has an edge this neuron kind of represents that like it's a smooth edge and you can actually like kind of reverse engineer the network with like cluster of stuff that basically light up with like visual feature which is kind of interesting yeah yeah when you have access to it you can see what's happening inside one other thing in vision that also is pretty cute that i've experimented with recently is that you can take the the kernel of what like let's say the knowledge it learns and start producing things from this uh, like instead of having the uh, recognition thing, have it be a producing thing so that you can kind of see the essence of what it thinks it understands. So there's always ways to probe what's inside, but maybe maybe they should be more systematized. <laughs> Why would you do that? Like as a company, I, I mean, like there's no need to actually understand what it's doing if it's working well. Uh, there is a very big need to understand AI for AI alignment in the in the future. One of the big pillars of people who are working into making sure that a super AI doesn't destroy the human race just to maximize paperclips. One of the big points they're working on is making sure to understand what's going on inside <laughs> first. It's not easy because the AI, uh, sufficiently advanced AI can lie to you. <laughs> Is there a lot of people thinking about that problem? Saving the human race is a pretty strong incentive <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But like when you compare the number of people that works on this problem versus the number of people that works on the output of machine learning, I think it's not even the same like order of magnitude. Clearly. Which is... So I think we will arrive to like the super AIs that transform the universe into paperclips way before we actually... I have zero hope for AI alignment. I think it's a dead pro dead issue and mankind is doomed. But that... I mean, if you if you can't even align a market with like human level intelligence, how can you expect to align a super human level intelligence? <laughs> AI, AI alignment is a complex topic and doomed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good conclusion. <laughs> is it though? <laughs> like machine learning is great and we're gonna turn into paperclip. I mean, it's, it is easier, I think, to align and audit a black box machine learning than a cascade of thousands of ifs that control your robot in Gladiabots and you don't even know where to go to rectify the failure. I think that's all like behavioral versus cognitivist debates. When, when we talk about like human cognition, it's like, do we actually care about what's happening inside or do we only care about input output? And it's like the exact same, this exact same issue actually. And some people, but what's interesting is like some people, like behaviorists don't really, really exist anymore. The black box before was like the head. Now it's like, ooh, yeah, but like the vision known is kind of not a black box. So like, let's remove 
remove it from the black box and then like this thing is not the black box so let's remove it as well and the black box is like getting smaller and smaller and smaller and they're calling themselves new behaviors that's fine like whatever but what i'm saying is is that like this issue has been like debated for a while in psychology and what's interesting is like what one is like cognitivists which say like it's inter- like it's important to know what's happening inside like that's how you learn better how to actually have an impact on the output and like i think like that might be true for machine learning as well like knowing how it works might allow us to progress into our machine learning algorithm i mean in a in a way the the current machine learning paradise is is a bit cognitivist, right? It's, it's more, uh, it's about the mapping between inputs and outputs, more or less. So, so, so like, <laughs> okay, okay, in cognitive science, what we're doing is like, we're discovering how the human brain works and how like it does everything that it does. Okay, what's interesting with machine learning is we, we're coming from nothing, like there's nothing, we just have a block and we're giving each block a function to create kind of like a super human brain. We're recreating this kind of feature of the brain, like recognizing X, Y, that, but it doesn't work the same way. Meaning like you can't just, well, you can start with it. Like, okay, human brain does that, 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 and that. And like, let's try it with machine learning. And it's rarely the best way to do it in machine learning. So we are finding like the best way to do stuff that humans do. Recreating like cognition, basically, like with its feature. I don't know if it's the best way though. So it's the best way following this math paradigm. Well, we, with this, basically with this gear. Yeah. Like we invented like a gear, like the neuron, like basically for human being, for, for biological brain, it's like a neuron. And like what we invented is another type of neuron. And we're trying to do the best with that type of neuron. It's certainly optimal in a sense. I think the conclusion is that you should invest in being shrink for computers, for AIs. That's the job of the future. And probably uh, cognitivist, right? <laughs> cognitivist psychology for for AIs. That would be such a cool new podcast. <laughs> what analyzing AIs one by one? No, no job of the future. Like you create a job for each episode. Well, I mean, there is only one job of the future. It's cognitivist shrink for AIs, and then the AIs do all the other jobs. <laughs> anyway, dear listener. Please prove to us that you're not a black box <laughs> by delivering some cute outputs <laughs> to various platforms we're listening, like Gmail, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, Not Daily Podcast, in one go. Please forgive us for the horrible SEO. <laughs> and see you later in the next episode. And no, see you. <laughs> not, not tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, you're killing me.